Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I'm so excited about our chat today because when I was a little boy, I used to go to a pioneer camp in the Rocky Mountains where I had my own horse for a couple weeks and I'd explore the front ranges of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, uh, I've always kind of been fascinated by, you know, long travel uh, with horses. And, you know, I built many bonds with my horses every summer. And uh, I'm super excited to talk to Louis Hall today because uh, he does really epic travel with his his horse. He's currently uh, on a 3,000 kilometer journey from Siena, Italy to Finisterre, Spain. Uh, hi, Louis. How's it going? Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we've managed to find some signal to uh, to make it work. Yeah, no, it's been tough, obviously, uh, with you traveling, you know, every day in a different destination, just trying to nail down a place where you have signal and uh, you have time. Uh, it's been tough, but I'm super excited about this discussion. And first off, just can you tell me a little bit more about what it's like to you know, ride across Europe in 2022. Yeah, 2022, that's a good point. It's interesting, the challenges you think you're going to face and the challenges you do end up facing. I mean, the whole point of it was is to, to find something that people think is lost, you know, the beautiful kindness of strangers, the beautiful places that are, exist in the world, the wild um, side of living in the sense that you can just go from friend to friend, from place to place and meet people as you go. But there are 2022 challenges. Um, a lot of people don't know what to think when they see a person on the horse. Some people don't aren't as welcoming as you'd think. And, and there's the cars, there's the traffic, there's the right-of-ways, there's the places you can't go. Um, and there's lots of laws in... Um, you'd be surprised the amount of laws that are in place in cities and towns saying that you just can't ride through. Obviously, we ignore them all, but still, it's, um, it's interesting the kind of putting the paradox of something so timeless like a horse or a person on a horse riding on a on a journey uh, amongst a 2022 um, scene and that creates very interesting um, situations I think and it's a big kind of telling point on where people are as as in a society and where we are as as people together and um, yeah the, the, the once you once you kind of overcome the difficulties then you can sort of think and laugh about it but it, there are moments where it just gets Annoying, annoying for kind of annoying reasons, if you know what I mean. Annoying for kind of silly 2022 reasons as opposed to, you know, there's a, there's a mountain or there's a storm, which are things you do expect, but you don't expect other things. When, when I first read about your trip, um, I was just envisioning like, you know, you're in the countryside, you know, you're on a bridal way and it's like you're just kind of always in nature and you're skirting villages. But the reality is probably you're going along, you know, roads with cars and trying to, you know, to, to find paths. How, how hard is it to, you know, ride a horse across Europe these days? Yeah, it depends on the country. Um, I chose this particular route or these three countries, let's say Italy, France and Spain, because Western Europe is dominated by um, GR walking routes and uh, pilgrim routes. So in theory, it was going to be fairly easy sort of making your way from A to B. And my sense of direction is 
absolutely awful. So I really like to go on, <laughs> like to either go, you know, along mountain path, uh, passes or by coastlines or on these pilgrim routes because at, at least there's a kind of, there's a formula to where you're going. So from in Italy, you've got Via Francigena, which is a very famous um, ancient trail that goes from Canterbury to Rome. Um, and then in France, they've spent a lot of money uh, on these greenways, which are amazing cycle connections um, that are very horse-friendly as well. And then Spain, um, you've got the Caminos, the Camino Santiago, the Compostela, which is what I'm on at the moment. But having said that, they are built for people, and they are built for boots, and they are built for tyres. They're not necessarily built for horses. Um, so there's a there's a give and take over um, where you want to go and where you can go. But, I mean, most of the time you do first and ask forgiveness later. And that works uh, almost all the time. But then there are there is the the natural fact of, of mountains. And, for example, the biggest challenge I had to face and probably one of the biggest challenges that punctuates the journey is to get from Italy to, to, to France, you have to, unless you go very, very, very north, you have to cross the either the Alps or the Ligurian Mountains. And Hannibal and Napoleon crossed the Alps in sort of end, end of May or middle of May. So that it was too early for me. So I had to cross the Ligurian Mountains in um, just the end of March, early April. And that, I didn't quite think about it as much as I should have, but obviously it's it's ski season, so it's, there's lots of snow, and also you're taking an Arabian horse up 2,000 meters in, um, and be because of the weather, not only had uh, obviously no horses been up there, but no people had been up there for this year. Uh, we were the first this year, so there was no tracks, there was nothing. So that was an interesting challenge very early on, um, and then the rest of that, yeah, as I say, it's a it's a give and take between these routes and byways and, and lovely uh, off-road mountain routes and trails. Uh, and then sometimes there's just the fact that you just got to go on the roads. And, and But I've been really lucky. And I have to say, Europe is a very rideable place. Um, and I think I, I can safely say about 70% of the time is, is spent off-road, which is amazing considering the kind of the horizontal line of this ride. If you look at it on the map, it's, you know, it's very much Siena, Italy up and then directly west all across. And it's, and that is satisfying. You don't, you're not, you're not having to detour for the concrete jungle. It seems so, so right that, you know, you're on a, on a horse journey doing the Via Francigena and then, you know, going across France and then connecting with the Camino. Like, it seems like those are the right types of paths to be on, but you know, sometimes finding accommodation for humans is tough and food. How do you deal with, you know, taking care of of your horse uh, Sasha you know in terms of like do you have to find stables every night and do you have to you know find f you know food all the time or it, it like for me that seems like it'd be a really tough challenge in addition to just doing this trip is is taking care of, of your horse from very early on you realize the only concern the first most foremost and the total concern really is where's he gonna sleep what's where where's he gonna where can, where's he gonna sleep and is it safe um, so you spend all your time thinking about that. And if you basically just think about that the whole time, then it, then it kind of, then you make it happen. But if you think about, you know, where am I going to sleep and where's he going to, you know, if you try and think about too many things and it doesn't really work. So if you every day or a week before or three days before, however well prepared you are, I just think about, right, this, first and foremost, we need a field 
uh, or we need a stables depending on the weather, depending on if it's safe and if I feel comfortable with him being there. So a lot more, I mean, you can't plan every night, obviously. And also I don't think that's very, um, it doesn't allow for spontaneity planning every night um, for, for as where he's going to be because a lot of it is, is asking strangers and, and knowing that these strangers are not there to make it harder for you they're they're most of the time they're going to be there to make it easier for you and um you're on a horse some people love horses most people love horses so and they're i mean they're animals of peace they're animals of healing so if you approach someone with a with a horse and saying you know i'm doing a ride across a from a to b um for charity then hopefully people are willing to help which you know they absolutely have been every single time we've asked so the one of the great things about doing these long journeys through different cultures and countries is that you are constantly surprised by the kindness of strangers and that every day that it never ceases to blow you away and that, that is the fuel to keeping going you know it's the fuel to hope it's the fuel to knowing that you will be okay because at the end of the day you know you ask one person they might say no two people they might say no but they might have an idea of someone who might say yes and suddenly third number three he said yes so it's um it's keeping the central focus every day on the horse obviously it's you know it's a 24 7 uh, thought of mine concern is is him and his safety and then it's with that comes okay let's find a stables let's find a paddock and eventually if you're lucky you tap into a kind of line of friends and so you say you stay at one place and said okay well if you're going there you stay with my friend he's there or she's there and then you say then she's like well if you're going there then you can say my friend and suddenly you're on this amazing line just being passed down like a parcel um across you know a a place you otherwise would feel pretty um foreign in how far can you go on a day in a horse you know i'm just sitting here thinking like is it something where you're able to go like 50 or 60 kilometers or i don't know if you were going for a short time like maybe when you're describing your the summers and where you uh, were a child you'd be able to try and aim for some big days maybe some 50 kilometers if you're going for kind of i don't know three four four days five days maximum but it's completely unsustainable if you want to do a long long journey to get to where i have got to from from the 24th of march to today you it's you won't have ever been i wouldn't have been able to ride him every day the whole time that would have been impossible so i average 39 kilometers a day um but that doesn't mean i'm riding every all that time and all those kilometers um i'd say it's pr- I've probably ridden in total maybe 30 or 40 percent of the time and then the rest is walking i mean you it's physically impossible for a horse to, to sustain that amount of energy and those kilometers every day but it's also physically impossible probably for a human to be doing 39 40 kilometers every single day without getting wrecking their knees or blisters etc so what i kind of done in managed to create a little bit by accident but then definitely to my good fortune is this kind of companion machine that you get you know i can't do that every day he can't do that every day but if you do it together then suddenly it's you are you can do it you know you can make 40 kilometers a day so yeah we average that but that doesn't mean i'm riding all the time it means i'm walking a lot and it means um uh he's he's without uh, me on his back sometimes as well so um, if you wanted to ride him every day, you, you, you wouldn't last very long doing 40 kilometers a day. No. I'm, I'm interesting, interested in like your discussion of kind of your companion and the companionship, you know, with your horse, when, when people go on, you know, long through hikes, you know, that you kind of form a bond with the people you're hiking with. And, you know, my experience two you know, two weeks in the summer, whatever horse I got, you I'd kind of form a, form a bond with, but you know, on such a long journey, what is the relationship like? 
you know, with, with you and Sasha, is, is this something, you know, something that no humans really get to experience because nobody's, nobody's doing these long journeys anymore. I mean, I feel extremely fortunate. I have to say is, you know, it's, um, it gives me goosebumps now. Actually, just thinking about it, it's it's um, I'm lucky to have access to a relationship that other people never really get to have access to, and it, and it's a, a side of a human being that you don't ever see unless you get the chance, like I've got the chance to do. And I think it's um, I I don't know what effect it has on me. That's not probably for me to say right now. I'm sure it, some others might be able to see it or not see it. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's impossible, but. I'm not a father. Um, I hope one day to be, but it feels like you're just having. It feels like a child. You know, it feels like something you, you know, I mean, you deeply love and deeply care for, deeply worry about, get frustrated with, and and then get happy with. You know, and then and, and vice versa. You know, as as you know yourself, I'm sure they have real characters and they get angry with you and they get uh, stubborn and impatient and extremely happy and as well. So. Um, it's not. I mean, it's very different, as you know, obviously to a person, but they have because they see things differently as well. You know, they don't worry about what you worry about and they don't think what you think. And and they will just keep going with you if you want them to. And and, and they will also pick you up when you're feeling down as well, which is a really interesting thing because they mirror, you know, they feel your emotions through through your energy and through your legs and your muscles and um, all, all coming from your mind. So, I mean, it's it's very hard to describe what it is that people aren't, other people wouldn't be experiencing. But it, it is, as you say, it's a very unusual thing to go with one horse for this amount of time. Usually people go, people would stop for, stop and change, you know, as they did back back when people only used horses. They wouldn't, they would go, I know in England, in the UK, for example, you'd only go 120 miles maximum, then you'd swap horses, you know. Um, so you'd never really have that one horse for such a length of time because people didn't walk, you know, they just rode. So I think the other thing is the fact that we have walked together and we have gone through painful experiences and difficult and dangerous experiences together it's not just him you know me on top of him it's actually we've both done it side by side and both thought god that really was not pleasant or wow this is beautiful and that is an unusual thing to experience with an animal that doesn't speak <laughs> with uh you sort of stop and look at a view together and you know you're and i don't know what he's thinking but you're both looking out at the same time you know together and and you're both experiencing awful moments too. So there's something very unifying for it. But I, I, it would be easy to say that the horse has the same feelings, but I, I think humans feel things a little bit deeper than, than these very intelligent animals that horses are. So this isn't your first, you know, long, long ride. You did a 1,100-mile journey from John O'Groats to Land's End. What was that journey like? Did it adequately prepare you for, for this trip? Or, or was that where you really all of a sudden realized, holy crow, this is, this is something I'm, I'm meant to do. Like, I know you had a quote on your website, I wanted it to last forever when you described that journey. Uh, and so I'm interested interesting kind of the progression from like, you just didn't start at 3,000 miles going across Europe. You, you kind of took steps to get, to get here. That journey came out of a frustration of um, the pandemic. And, and my friend Leo died of um, cystic fibrosis before the pandemic, but it was just the knowledge that there were people in the world who couldn't go outside of their doors, let alone live normally during the pandemic because they could get catch COVID and, and die, you know, because of innate illnesses that they had. So that, that I wanted to just, it was more of a, you know, expression of freedom in an attempt to raise money for um, cystic fibrosis trust, which I, which we did. And that, it, it, I called it the big hoof because it needed a name um to attract a bit of attention and 
I thought it was going to be some kind of solo, one man, one horse kind of alone, lonesome kind of trail. But I realized very, very quickly that it was it's extremely, it's extremely impersonal, a, a ride like this, because you're constantly surrounded by people asking you and, and you have a duty if you're raising money for charity to tell them and spread the word. And, and I realized it was it was actually a, a, a journey for everyone else as well as me, you know, it vicariously people were were living through it on social media and people were were receiving a lot of uh inspiration i guess and 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 hope through a very oppressed time after it finished as you say i certainly didn't want it to end i remember the last day was just um i was just dragging my heels towards the end it was awful and and i was pretty miserable before getting to the end i got to the end and it was all fun etc but then it was just this horrible down this empty this void when it had all gone but then i i kind of thought it, it stuck with me and i thought well there's something in that there was something in this this healing image of a horse or at least a, not a healing perhaps but a, a just a peaceful tranquil image of a horse going through one from one place to another trying to spread some kind of um light-hearted message of possibility of freedom of some kind of form of light i suppose and that stuck with me. And so from then, I um, the idea of the the big hoof kind of evolved in my mind, and and I wanted to do a big ride, another big ride, and for mental health because as I think after the pandemic, and I think the the, the the speed at which the world changes right now is very hard for people to to allow their minds to stay kind of tranquil. And so in my generation, in my friends, there's a lot of issues with ill mental health. So I wanted it to be for that. Uh, and then the the rush the Russia invaded the Ukraine, so then I needed to, I felt obliged to connect it with this, and so it's it was for now for trauma uh, for refugees. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of as you say, it was it didn't want it didn't want it to end, and and now it's not really ending. And now I kind of by doing this, it certainly has cemented my understanding of the power of what the big hoof can do, or what a, a horse traveling with a with a purpose and a message. Um, can do and that's um, hopefully hopefully we'll continue after this as well it's interesting you know this this second journey was around mental health and uh, one thing I've been talking to to guests recently on the podcast is just the benefit of the outdoors and being active on mental health and you know we've had authors and scientists who you know examine this and there's you know all the studies that just show you know being in nature being active is just you know if it was a drug it'd be the most popular drug around is that the same on a horse that you know you still get that feeling of it just like when people ask me why I like to backpack, I'm like, it just it just feels so good. And that I can't get any more than that. But but is, is that something you find riding as well? Yeah, it's a, absolutely. It's it's beautiful kind of pleasance of peace. It's just you're just in a in a in a certain light and a certain kind of level that uh, is unreachable um, in, in other parts of life. And and I think on a horse, it's, it's, it's that, that slightly raised level you're up. You know, you're up a little bit higher than you would be if you're walking in that. You'd never get to see the world from that height. And that's a really interesting thing that never gets old. And you're seeing things new the whole time. It's a, as you say, it is like a drug. It's, it's, and it's the presence. You're, just in, you're in such presence the whole time, which is the great paradox of why these journeys and why backpacking, as you say, or, or being at one outside being in nature is very very important extremely effective for mental health because you are present and the one thing we lack in in the modern world is presence 
Um, we are looking forward, we're looking back, we're looking left and right, and we're never, very rarely, are we allowed to allow ourselves just to stand still and be, and be taken, you know, in in whatever place we're in, and accept it as well, you know, accept that, embrace and allow yourself just to be taken in the presence, and understand that you really have no control over that as well, and over that, you know, what the world is in, 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 its, to- in its total sense. So with a horse, you're probably less peaceful than backpacking I say I, I often have more peaceful moments when I'm walking um, because you are on a horse and that's there's a slight kind of continual um, paranoia in your head about what are you doing right what are you doing wrong is you know because it's these small things can make big differences and you want to make sure as always that Sasha is happy at all times so I mean, it's a bit like, I don't know, as I say, I have no idea what it's like, but I'm sure it's like a little bit like parenthood. Um, not that I have anything like that, but I think it, yeah. So there's that, there's that element to it. But when you're walking side by side, yeah, as, as, as you, as you described the backpacking feeling, you're extremely at peace, but it is infectious. You know, you really want to just keep going and, 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 and what's great is so does Sasha, you know, in the mornings, I have no trouble catching him wherever he is. He comes straight to me. And we're off. And when I'm not ready <laughs> for whatever reason, he gets really restless and starts hitting the floor with his hoofs. You know, he wants to go, uh, which is lovely. Um, but yeah, it's the very, very important and probably the most important feeling in the world is to feel present. That's actually one of the things I struggle with is, you know, being present. You know, when I'm out in nature, I have to be present. But, you know, when I'm, you know, around the home, it's it's difficult. Um, I'm interested, you know, you talked about how the journey influences you on the trip. But do you think it's it's impacted you kind of just in your regular life? And 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 maybe I'll give an example. I've traveled all these kind of crazy, difficult places, and I'm a lot more. Uh, I deal with adversity a lot better than I did 20 years ago. You know, I'm just used to things going wrong, and you know, you plan for the worst case, and it's usually not that bad. And you know, things like life seems a bit easier because it's always like, well. You know, I, I kind of know what the worst case is. I have a plan. Does your journey, do you find things that, you know, you've learned on the journey that have changed who you are from, you know, five years ago? Yeah, I think, as you say, that, that example is, is, is a really good one. I think when you go through life-threatening situations quite continuously and situations where you have to care about an animal every day and there have been definite moments where I've been extremely lucky to get out of it without breaking a limb or or worse, then when you get back to... A different type of life back to you know london life as you call it in the uk uh everything seems a little bit silly <laughs> and sort of <laughs> slightly um but yeah but in a, in a positive way you are i think more prepared for adversity for what life throws at you i really think because you're i mean i have to make snap decisions every single day the whole time and you have to back yourself every decision you make and yes you have time to ponder if it's right or wrong but you really have to just make split decisions and I think that builds a lot of confidence, self-confidence in you. It makes you very decisive. It makes you able to cope with with situations that you, you it makes you very open-minded to any situation possible. If it's a truck with a massive banner of a flamingo that might slap Sasha in the head, or if it's a mad child running behind him or a dog trying to, you know, bite his tail or a storm that suddenly come in or a snow drift or a river that that is maybe too deep but you got to keep going you know things like this that you suddenly a minute before you weren't expecting and suddenly you have to adapt and react and go through it that has definitely i i think if i don't even feel it now which i definitely do for the rest of my life i'm very i'll be very grateful for that but at the same time 
you go back to city life and it's it's very hard to go back and, and feel normal in that environment because these things that people worry about, you feel perhaps, I mean, arrogantly, I don't know, but you feel they're so unnecessary to worry about. And, and that's a hard shift because people worry about things and it really means something to people, you know, about getting late to work or, or prices and or fuel and, and how fast you can be and from A to B in a, in a car and um, what their five plan, five-year plans are in life and all these things that are very kind of in their control, as um, inverted commas. And that for you, when you come back from a journey like this and or you, you realise that you're, you really have no control um, and that you need to just react to what comes your way, it's very hard to go back into a, you know that kind of life. So that impacts me as well, I think. And I find I need to sort of slightly hold my tongue a lot of the time when I go back to London or Edinburgh or wherever to kind of when people are complaining about things, I kind of just thinking, well, you know, we're just quite lucky to be alive. You know, it's just such a, you know, and it's, and you see things in a, a, a much broader way, which is perhaps very unhelpful for other people to listen to. But um, so, but it's also, um, I think, it, you know, in the long run, it, I think it's, it's very beneficial to experience a, a journey where you, you are at the risk of, of things you can't control. You know, it is, it's just the, the comment you said, just lucky to be alive. I know there's lots of times where, you know, um, my wife might be worried about something and I would just be like in the grand scheme of things, like this is really good. And it's just all the hard times help, help me value the good times uh, a, a lot more. Uh, speaking of good times, do you even think about the end of the journey, you know, reaching uh, Cape Finisterre in Spain and, you know, what it's going to be like? Or are you still just so focused on the day to day that you're not even thinking about kind of the the feeling at the end? I would love to be at the state where I wouldn't even be thinking about it as but I, unfortunately, the question has arisen, you know, and, and <laughs> that that date that date is in the diary and people need to know. And so there's you know, I'm already thinking, unfortunately, about how what the next steps are, which is really sad. But I think it's good in the way that I'm thinking about it now, because I can at least start really treasuring these last couple of days. And, and also, uh, because the Big Hoof, we, we received charitable status about two weeks ago, which is really cool. So we can now as a, you know, authorized charity, I can go out and do more rides. And which I this, this um, trip has certainly cemented that that ambition for me. So I think this may be the end of this, obviously. But um I have a many plans for for the next ones, and this has helped me to kind of configure out what's what works, what doesn't work as a ride, and and from this I can go forwards and use this as yet another learning curve and incredible experience, but to go on and to do more. So this might be the end of the Finisterre will be the end of this ride, but it's only the beginning of of many more to come. I'm jealous just thinking of. You know, you're. I can just imagine you're exploring the world. You're looking at maps. You're trying to figure out what the next one is. Uh, that's always a super, a super fun time. I, I just want to mention. You know, I think it's great what you're doing. You know, raising money for causes you believe in, going to put yourself out in challenging positions. Uh, if 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 listeners want to contribute, you can go onto thebighoof.com. There's a um, a donate button right on you know the the homepage. And it is, it's, it's just, it's just such a good cause you're supporting with, with this journey. Um, I loved hearing about this, like this was, you know, talking about meaning and uh, just, you know, this wonderful journey of kind of a throwback era. Uh, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast. It was a really, really great discussion. No, thank you. It's really, really kind. And, and it's lovely to hear people who are interested in it. And, you know, cause 
it's a lot of people don't understand it perhaps or it's a very as you say it's an unusual throwback so kind of a time perhaps lost but it's um it's very relevant i think um this these journeys and 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 this thing that i think in in our lives and most people's lives we're lacking i certainly was and i kind of this is more for, and a lot of this these rides are just a necessity for me to do just to keep my head level and to make sense of the world um and i think people deserve for their, for their own selves to give themselves a an adventure a little adventure whatever it might be it might be in the back garden it might be in the kitchen even it but everyone needs a little adventure and for me this is this is that and if there's anyone who um would ever like to come on a big hoof in the future then please keep an eye on the website and on the socials uh, at the big hoof because i want to include as many people as i possibly can going forward because as i say this certainly is not my journey this is something that can be used the horse uh, can be used as a as a journey for something new something hopeful uh, for everyone and it's early days but fingers crossed that um and it goes that way i love the idea of including others you know i can just imagine you know joining for two weeks and you know i haven't ridden a horse in probably 15 years i imagine it'd be painful for the first five or six days but once once i got back to it that you know i can just imagine it's just you know Tons of people listening going, oh, I'd love, I'd love to try that. Uh, if if you want to find out more, thebighoof.com uh, or on social at The Big Hoof. Uh, I know we were checking out the Instagram photos earlier today. Uh, and it is cool. Just, you know, just look at this totally different way to um, uh, to travel. And, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more about epic adventures on the 10 Adventures podcast. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10adventures.